What in the hell's going on? What the hell is going on? What the hell is going on? I don't know what the hell he's talking about. You don't have to know what the hell is on it. What the hell's the matter with these guys? We don't know what's going on. What the hell's going on? Who in God's name knows what it's all about? Hi, I'm Danielle Petka. And I'm Mark Thiessen. Welcome to our podcast, What the Hell is Going On? Mark, what the hell's going on this week? We're talking about politics and COVID, Danny. The uh, president of the United States went down to Plains, Georgia to visit the former Democratic president, Jimmy Carter, and his wife, Rosalind. And uh, they went to the Carter's home and they took off their masks and they got real close and they had pictures and had a nice visit, just like the CDC guidance says that you can do if you're everybody's vaccinated. And then they promptly went out of the Carter's house and put their masks back on outdoors where there is almost no chance of getting COVID, especially if you're vaccinated. I am absolutely and utterly confused by the public messaging coming from this president. I don't know if it's intentional, if it's just chaos or what's going on. I don't know either. And I I think a lot of people are are wondering, President Biden has very ostentatiously worn a a mask. President Biden very ostentatiously during his campaign lived in a basement in isolation. (laughs) It's true. And, you know, in some in some senses, what you want from the president of the United States is to model good behavior. Right. We were all appalled when Donald Trump had covid, went to the hospital and then went outside to go and say hi to everybody, you know, a day later. So you want you want the adult president of the United States to model good behavior. The problem, I think, for a lot of people is that Biden seems to be modeling paranoid behavior. He panics when he doesn't have a mask in his hand. He has a mask on outdoors at all times. And I think at the end of the day, the signal that he's sending to the American people is there are no good times ahead of you. You know, maybe if you see Jimmy Carter, you can take off your mask. But if you're not special like me and see Jimmy Carter, you have to have your mask on pretty much all the time. Yeah, but there was that horrible scene the other day. Also, of Biden, he spent like literally 30 to 60 seconds because he lost his mask. And he like was in a panic. They were like looking through his binder of his speech and all the rest of it. It turned out it was in his pocket. But what did he need a mask for outside? I mean, literally, he had just a few days earlier come out to the White House lawn and announced that if you're vaccinated, you don't need a mask outside. He did an interview with, I can't remember what reporter where he was, uh, he was saying that, uh, well, we're not wearing masks because we're socially distant, but if we were right next to each other, even though we're full vaccinated, we would both be wearing masks. But then he goes indoors with Rosalind Carter and Jimmy Carter, who are, you know, 90s with pre-existing conditions, probably the most vulnerable people in America, except for the fact that they're vaccinated, and he doesn't wear a mask. It's just sending utter confusion throughout the country. And we're hitting the point now, Danny, where Everybody who wanted to get vaccinated has pretty much gotten vaccinated or is close or has an appointment. The number of vaccinations has gone down over the last week from 3.4 million a day to 2.4 million a day. That's a lot fewer vaccinations happening. And we're getting to the point now we need to start convincing people who are hesitant about the vaccine that uh, it's it's safe to get it. You can get your life back if you get it. And they don't want to do that for some reason. 
this is a point of confusion that's really important. So one of the defenses of President Biden is, and he actually said this himself, you never know who's going to come up to you, you know, and when you're president, lots of people come up to you. And so, you know, I just need the mask for that reason, because I don't, you know, I, you never know. The problem is that also sends a false medical signal to people. When you are vaccinated, not only are you safe from other people, you are also safe from transmission. In other words, the odds that if you get it, even a very mild version, that you transmit it are also commensurately low. Again, we haven't talked, you and I, I think, enough in recent months about the costs you know, the cost to people whose kids can't go to camp, the cost to people whose kids are still out of school learning with bogus Zoom classes, if they're lucky, the cost to people who don't work in offices and can work remotely, but are just stopped from working in shops, in restaurants. You know, yes, that's slowly coming back, but that needs to come back faster. And I would think the president who wants to stick his hand in every bloody American's pocket and rip out thousands of dollars would want them to be able to go back to earning those thousands. He doesn't, though, because he wants the crisis. He wants to continue the crisis because the crisis is the pretext for the entire agenda. So he's proposed $6 trillion in spending. That's trillion with a T. And uh, Americans would never support $6 trillion in spending unless we were in a crisis. But if we stop wearing masks and start behaving normally, then the crisis is over. And the message is that, you know, we've come through. We're not, it's not no longer the light at the end of the tunnel. We're out of the tunnel. Look, COVID's going to be around for a long time in some way, shape, or form. But at some point, it become, it's no longer a pandemic and it becomes a manageable disease, just like many other diseases that we have. I mean, you know, we any day you walk out of your house unmasked and, and all the rest of it, you can get bacterial meningitis. There are tons of illnesses out there. There's no 100% certainty that you won't get sick out in the world. But if you just look at the studies on the efficacy of the vaccine, you know, people cite this like 94, 95% accuracy. That's actually misleading. It's much more than 95% accuracy because that's only focused on a small cohort of people within the trial. Something like 85 million people have been vaccinated. There are about five or 6,000 people who have gotten infected. That's like 0.008% chance that you would get infected at all. And if you did get infected, you're probably not going to get sick and you're probably not going to get hospitalized and you're probably not going to die. That's about as good odds as you could have for anything, for any, any illness in the world. So go live your lives. That's what the message should be. Get vaccinated and let's get America moving again. But that, oh no, we got to we gotta pass $6 trillion in spending first so we can get America moving. That's what's going to get America moving. No, the vaccines was going to get America moving. No, that's right. I, I don't know when the backlash is going to start. I don't know when people are just going to get sick and tired of the government telling them not just what to say, not just what to do, not just what to wear, but in every aspect of their life, including at home, how to be. Again, I had absolutely no time for Donald Trump, particularly towards the end. But I do think that that skepticism, that independence of the American people is something that makes us unique. And when we lose that, when we become all the babies in a nanny state, it changes our country in ways that I think we haven't even begun to understand. That, of course, I guess is the crisis that you're talking about that the uh, president hopes to exploit. Well, the irony is, is that they've told us, elect us because we'll follow the science. 
we won't let politics interfere. And if anything, politics is interfering more with the science now than it was under the previous administration. And we've got a great person to talk to us about that problem. So Dr. Nicole Sapphire, she's a, a radiologist. She's the director of breast imaging at Memorial Sloan Kettering in New Jersey. She's also a really frequent commentator on COVID-related closures, masking, medicine, political issues, uh, everywhere from Fox News to MSNBC. She's written in The Journal, The Hill, and a lot of other places. She's got a new book coming out, and uh, that is one of the things we're going to be talking about with her. It's called Panic Attack playing politics with science in the fight against COVID-19. Here's our interview. Well, Nicole, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I'm excited to be on with you guys. We're glad to have you. So yesterday, Joe Biden went to visit Jimmy and Rosalind Carter, and uh, they were pictured with the Carters all indoors, not wearing masks, which is right. CDC guidance says that uh, indoor vaccinated people can be indoors without masks or social distancing. But as soon as they left, they put their masks on again outside. <laughs> what is going on? What, what is with all this mixed messaging coming out of the administration? Honestly, it's like I'm getting whiplash these days from trying to follow what the messages are coming out. First, we're going to wear a mask outdoors, not indoors, which is what was demonstrating there. Um, but the fact that they were not wearing masks, assumingly all four of them are vaccinated, it goes towards what the CDC says. You cannot wear masks when you are in a small indoor gathering with people who are vaccinated. That is absolutely right. Mind you, Joe Biden has said that, you know, he recommends you still wear masks when around highly vulnerable. And something tells me that the Carters would be considered highly vulnerable, but that's fine. He'll tell the rest of America to wear their masks, but he's not going to. But the second he walks outdoors, he's going to throw that mask back on. Now to give him the benefit of the doubt, let's be fair here. There could have been press there. As he said, he can't stop people from coming up to him. But I mean, isn't that what the uh, Secret Service is for? Don't they um, kind of stop people from randomly approaching the president? <laughs> so I want to ask you about this mixed messaging, because I think this is actually a much bigger problem than just the masks. You wrote a fantastic piece in the Wall Street Journal with the title, Dr. Fauci, tear off these masks. And I, <laughs> I, I loved it and amen to it. But I think that there's a, a deeper issue here. We have, as a nation, gotten whiplash from the very beginning. It's, no, 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 don't wear a mask. No, 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 it's okay to come from China. Oh, now wear a mask. And as we have progressed, we have been unwilling to signal to people that there's a light at the end of the tunnel for them. So I think for a lot of people who contemplate whether or not to get the vaccine, you know, and again, I'm vaccinated, my whole family's vaccinated, there's no doubt for me, but I understand people have doubts. But as they contemplate it, for them, there's no light at the end of the tunnel, right? Because masks, well, that has been one of my biggest frustrations over the last few months. And, you know, I've written more than just that Wall Street Journal piece on it from in the Hill, foxnews.com, because this is a big problem. If you are not giving positive incentives to vaccination, if you are not giving a metric to liberation, why would people who don't feel that they're vulnerable to COVID-19 actually go out and get vaccinated? They're still having to have all the same restrictions as before. And I can tell you, one of the biggest disappointments and frustrations were the recent CDC guideline updates. We were all waiting for this, like, okay, here it is. I mean, they're only a few months late since vaccines have been widely available, but okay, we'll take it a few months late. That seems to be par for the course with them and the pandemic. And then all of a sudden they say, 
oh no, when you're outside, you can take off your mask, but uh, everything else, you still pretty much have to wear your mask. They essentially told us, you know what, if you're by yourself walking your dog, you don't have to wear your mask. Well, it's like, hey, newsflash, the majority of us have been doing that uh, for the last year. And clearly that and outdoor dining haven't contributed to community transmission. So they didn't tell us anything new. There was no liberation. And we just kind of stood there staring at them like, that's it. So it's very frustrating. And then, you know, it's you can't really compare what's going on right now to what was going on a year ago. We did not have information a year ago. The whiplash when it came to masks, no mask, you know, although it was very frustrating, and I can tell you that there was some politicization of that science at the time, really we have now ample data, ample reliable data that tells us what we can and cannot do. Unfortunately, our current administration and the CDC are very delayed in updating and following the science, despite being the self-proclaimed party of science. Well, didn't they just issue CDC recommendations for kids at camp that anyone two years or older has to wear a well-fitting mask at all times, except for eating, drinking, and swimming? Is there any science behind that? As a mother of three, two, which I plan on sending to summer camps, and one who happens to be a summer camp counselor this year, that was extremely heartbreaking. Because first of all, the CDC is really the only global entity that is recommending children over the years of two wear masks. The World Health Organization actually says they don't recommend two to five-year-olds to be wearing masks. And they said five to 12-year-olds should really only be wearing masks in very specific situations. And you have to balance the benefit versus risk to actually mask wearing because they actually acknowledge some of the negative consequences of young children wearing masks. For some reason, the CDC has completely blinded the negative consequences of their recommendations, of their restrictions in terms of school reopenings, mask wearings, limitations. They are only concerned with limiting the spread of this virus. They seem to completely neglect to acknowledge the consequences of such actions. And when you have children outside playing, if we can go outside and take our masks off, even if you're unvaccinated, why can't young children go out and play? Because they said they have to be distanced and wearing their masks while outside. That is actually against their own CDC recommendations. It's ridiculous. And why Dr. Fauci can't come on TV and say, you know what, children should be able to play on a playground without masks. Yes, you don't want your child licking the playground, but I hope you would have them not licking the playground anyway, but he still won't even come out and say that. So, you know, I especially appreciate what you're saying. I've got four kids. Mark has four kids. You have three kids. You know, we see this in action. And I think the other place where we see these guidelines failing to keep up is at the school level, where still we lack clarity about how, you know, how children, for example, under the age of 12, they're gonna open the vaccine to children um, 12 and above. How are children above under 12 supposed to act? Are they gonna be masked in the fall? Is school gonna open? Are they not gonna be allowed to? What do you, what do you think about all that? The CDC needs to open up the people that they actually look for for data. You have schools across the country who have been wide open since December. Some had mask mandates, some didn't have mask mandates. How do they compare? Why isn't the CDC actually looking at this? One of the biggest frustrations that came out for me was that the CDC, we had these long waited school reopening guidelines to come out early February, but they came out saying that children still needed that six feet of distance. Well, a lot of schools can't open with the six feet of distance recommendations. And yet 
several weeks later, they're like, actually, you know what? We can go down to three feet. There wasn't some magical study that came out. The studies were already there. And by the way, in a 2020 interview, Dr. Walensky, who, before she was the CDC director, in an email to the Newton, Massachusetts mayor said, if the kids are wearing masks, it's okay for them to be three feet distance. So why was she okay with saying it had to be six feet in February, despite the American Academy of Pediatrics saying three feet's okay, despite the World Health Organization saying it's three feet's okay. The CDC is not staying up with the science and they're not looking at reliable data that could really lead us forward. I want them to contact every single Catholic school across the nation who has been open since September. A lot of them were not requiring masks. How did they do? I wanna hear those numbers, but they're not looking at that. They're only going based on what they want to. It's very selective. And that is the antithesis of how science and public health recommendations should be formed. Why do you think that is? Is there, are they just scared to make the wrong call and say, I mean, the, all the incentives in government and particularly with public health officials is to be cautious, right? Because you never, you know, with the J&J &J vaccine pause, for example, you know, they were vaccinating about 475,000 people a day with the J&J &J vaccine. So you stop that for 11 days, you're talking 5.2 million people who went unvaccinated. The risk was higher of those people dying of COVID from exposure than it was for them getting a, some rare side effect from the J&J &J vaccine. But the science from the public health perspective, they don't get in trouble when someone dies because they didn't approve something. They only get in trouble when they, someone dies because they did approve something. So are they just, you know, in a CYA operation where they're just being careful because they don't want to get blamed for giving guidance that puts people at more risk? I'll be honest. I would love to say that I believe that it was completely CYA, but I think that it's a little more, I don't want to say nefarious, but maybe deceptive than that. I think that there has been a lot more political influence than there should have been. And, you know, I'd love to just walk around with my blinders on as a physician and always just toe the line and that the CDC and the FDA and everyone's doing a great job. But the truth is, when I was researching for my upcoming book, it started to become glaringly obvious to me how much political influence there is on a lot of these recommendations. The most recent, of course, being the teachers union lobby um, towards school reopening guidelines. Um, but the J&J &J pause, you know, that's interesting because I would say that historically that wouldn't have actually had a pause. Uh, the only reason that I think it had a pause was because that this is all being played out in the public court of perception. And with these, you know, rising reported cases as we have social media now, everyone starts to hear from them. So because we already have a level of vaccine hesitancy in our nation, it was essential for them to show that they are taking people's safety over a push for vaccinations, which has kind of been what people are concerned about. But that being said, the pause was a lot more delayed than it should have been. There should have been a pause because only because they needed to show that for the American people, not really for safety reasons, but it went on way too long, which is something else we've been seeing with the FDA. They've really been dragging their feet with a lot of things. So I want to pursue this question about the pause on the J&J. &J. Now, I will say that the CDC looks great in comparison to their European counterparts, which have been even less responsive, even more hysterical than our folks have been, and along with their lead politicians and ours. I mean, we remember what the vice president said about a Trump vaccine. So they have sown the seeds of vaccine hesitation. I guess if we play it forward two months, three months, four months, there's going to be a substantial portion of Americans 
that don't want to be vaccinated. How do we manage that? Do you have thoughts about that? Well, you know, we're already seeing a decline in the demand for the vaccines. We've been seeing it just about every day for the last couple of weeks. Um, the truth right. is there was a baseline level of vaccine hesitancy pre-COVID. So we can't blame everything on current politics, even though some people would love to do that. But, you know, there was certainly a level there as in people's perception of the rushed um, research on these vaccines did not help. And then the political warfare that we saw play out every day in the media certainly didn't help with Governor Cuomo saying, oh, I won't trust a vaccine unless my state people review it. It's like, who are your state people that are going to re-review what the FDA and the CDC already did? By the way, your state people right now, not really on the up and up with the American people. So that that didn't doesn't really sit well. And then you had Vice President Kamala Harris during the campaign say that she wouldn't trust anything from President Trump. I mean, again, not helpful. But what really needed to happen there was a messaging campaign. It wasn't that research was being rushed. It was that there was parallel funding of manufacturing while the research was going on. This was a gamble. This could have been a huge loss if these vaccines didn't work. I also think that a good messaging would be that mRNA technology is not new. In fact, vaccines for coronaviruses, including mRNA, they've been in the work for decades. I'm very good friends with a, my, one of my friends from college is a coronavirus researcher. And you know she has been working on a coronavirus vaccine her entire career. So it was just that we've never had a human mRNA vaccine because the funding hasn't been there. President Trump decided to throw the kitchen sink at it and say, take all the money you want. Finally, we can get it. We could have had this vaccine decades ago. The funding just wasn't there. So that sort of education and messaging is how to get through to the hesitant and to understand why they need to get it. A lot of people say, you know what? I'm low risk. I'm young. Why would I want to get the vaccine? Well, that's true. To save the most lives, to keep the most people out of the hospital, we need to vaccinate the elderly. But to keep the viral transmission low and to stop these variants from being produced, that is why the younger people need to get vaccinated. And that is the message that needs to come out. But I'm not hearing that. What keeps coming out is just saying, oh, well, you know, the viruses, you know, it's unpredictable. It can affect anybody. Very true. But then that just leads it open for people to do their own math and figure out what the percentages are of the people being affected. But the truth is the younger people were not necessarily vaccinating for their protection. We're vaccinating them to help us not have more variants coming so we don't have to keep going through this year after year. Well, let's talk about the vaccines, because one of the points that I think you hit on and that a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, it took nine months to develop these vaccines. It actually took, as I understand it, Moderna two days to develop the vaccine. As soon as they got the genome for the for the virus, it took them two days to make the vaccine and they had a sample sent to this FDA in three weeks. And so all that nine months, almost all that nine months was spent on testing for safety and effectiveness, right? So it's not like this was like produced in eight months and then they did a month of testing and it's out there. It's actually been gone through a very rigorous process. But talk to us about the efficacy of the vaccine, because I think that's what, what people don't understand. I understand that there was a study that showed that only about 5,000 people got infected after having received the vaccine. And that didn't mean like hospitalized and, and sick or near death, but actually just got infected at all out of like 85 million people who had received the vaccines. That's a pretty strong indication that if you get this vaccine, you are not going to get it. You are not going to give it to anybody. You can go back to your life as normal. What is the science behind that? 
I mean, it's really interesting because you keep seeing this. I think it's over 6,000 now who have confirmed infections following vaccination. But first of all, that includes people who weren't fully vaccinated that magic number of two weeks after the second dose. That's just been after their vaccines in general. But people keep focusing on that. And yes, there have been a, a handful that have died. There have been a handful that have been hospitalized. But that pales in comparison to what happens with natural infection. Our hospitals were overflowing. Our ICUs were overflowing. We had makeshift ICUs in like ORs. I mean, it was crazy. You cannot compare the two. That shows how efficacious this vaccine is. And by the way, no one said that they were 100%, they had 100% efficacy. It's incredible that they had up to 95% in clinical trials. I mean, people don't understand how incredible that number is. And that 6,000 breakthrough infections really just shows it's probably even more than that in the real world data. And that includes you have people walking around after a single dose, after a double dose, and so few are actually getting the infection and even fewer are being hospitalized and even fewer are dying. You have to stop focusing on the media headline catching things like breakthrough cases, because if you really do that math, people are very quick to do the math on how they're low risk for COVID-19, but they're not doing the math at how low risk you are for a serious infection following vaccination, which is exceedingly low to nil. So where do we go? You know, you talked about the failure of messaging. And I, I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more for a country that spends so much time on social media. We really have left this question to dangle. Yesterday, I saw my first commercial ever about the need to go out and get the vaccine. And we should have been saturating the airwaves with this. So, so what happens? The White House today said that all states that do not use their allotment of vaccine will not get that and that it will go into a pool to those who have shortages. Eventually, that's going to be nobody. And the Biden administration is going to start sending these things to Africa, to India, to Europe, to Mexico, God knows where. What happens when half our population isn't vaccinated? Well, you know, right now we have about 44% of total adults having received at least one dose. So I am optimistic that through the summer, as people start going back to work in the fall, that we will get more adults being vaccinated, probably close to at 60, 65%, which is a great number. Um, Pfizer has applied to have their vaccine um, be used in 12 to 15 year olds this week. I mean, it could be as authorized as soon as this week you know, that's probably going to be about another five to 10 million people by the end of summer, again, as people go back to school. In reality, what we need to do is to get close to two thirds of the population being vaccinated. That should be able to provide adequate immunity when you couple that with the natural immunity circulating. Yes, we need to continue with positive messaging as to why we're recommending people get the vaccine. It's not just to save their life because they're right. The majority of people are not susceptible to the severe consequences of COVID-19. But let me tell you, as a physician, as someone with an autoimmune disease on immunosuppressant drugs, this virus is scary. There are some neurotropic effects, meaning it, it affects your central nervous system that really concern me. You know, people joke around saying, oh, you know, I lost my sense of smell and it hasn't come back. I'm like, you realize that means your central nervous system was involved. And this virus has only been circulating for less than a year and a half. We have no idea what the long-term effects of that are. Like, why wouldn't you want to prevent that? So we have to continue our messaging. We have to make sure that we're truly following the science and making sure that we have clear, concise, 
recommendations on why we feel the people should get it. But I do believe that we need to start shipping out vaccines to the rest of the world. And this isn't just being altruistic. This is because we don't want more variants being produced. We saw what's happening with the South African variant, the Brazilian variant, and other variants that are escaping immunity from vaccines and natural immunity. This is a problem. If we don't stop variants from forming across the globe, we're going to deal with this every single year, unless we stop international travel altogether, which we know that's not going to happen. So yes, if our demand is decreasing, we need to start shipping out those vaccines because this is a global effort if we ever want to see the true light at the end of this tunnel. You know, it's funny, you just used the names of the variants with the locations, which is violation of woke rules today right now. We're supposed to call them B117 and B17, whatever. And you know, the ir irony is, is that that wokeness actually undermines the argument you're making, which is that, you know, we need to send vaccines to Brazil and South Africa and India and other places because we don't want an Indian variant coming here. And we want to stop it there so it doesn't come over here. It's sort of like the war on terror, right? Fight it over there so we don't have to face it here at home. But, you know, the wokeness is preventing us from actually saying where the variants are coming from. And people are completely confused by the alphabet and number soup that the public health officials are throwing at them. Well, let me tell you, when they change the name of West Nile virus, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, maybe I'll get on board. But you can't just pick and choose which viruses you can't call by their name of origin just because you feel that you want to today follow the lines of political wokeness. I mean, that's the problem. So. My entire book, Panic Attack, is called The Politicization of Science and the Fight Against COVID-19 for a reason. Because all of a sudden, politics have inserted themselves so much into science that it has really hindered our response. And when these anti-science measures are continuously implemented, the long-term consequences of such actions is going to stay with us forever. And because of all of this, we saw a controversy regarding the, the origin of the virus, wearing face masks, hydroxychloroquine, the vaccines, school reopenings, everything. And the truth is, discord is normal in the quest for science. Physicians, scientists, we disagree on everything all the time. But for some reason, the media and the public had a problem with this and they played to it. The only person who had problems with this discord is the media. But scientists get it. That is how we come up with trial and error experimentation. That's how we get some of our greatest discoveries is because of this discord. But they have exploited it and administrators and legislators have completely manipulated and deceived it and have really undermined our effort when it came to this pandemic. So this is my last question, uh, you know, and it's a difficult one because, you know, you've written this book, you talk about the politicization, but now it is a little let's say there's some disagreement about why the politicization is still happening. Mark had a very good piece in the Washington Post a couple of days ago saying that you know, Biden's speech that he gave to the joint session of Congress was pandemic political theater that was meant to justify government spending. What do you see as the prime driver of the politicization? Because I think it's an important question because we're going now from the Trump administration to the Biden administration, and yet the politics have continued to be insane. It is not uncommon for politicians to use periods of crisis to their advantage. You know, vote for me and I will save you. And that is exactly what happened in 2020. This was one of the biggest crises of the majority of our lifetimes. And that is what happened. They said, vote for me or essentially the country will collapse. And now because the country is in the state that it's in because of prolonged anti-science lockdowns, we need recovery. 
And so this is an easy way at this point for certain legislators to push through agendas that existed pre-COVID, but all of a sudden they're saying, oh, well, we really need this now, we need the funding. And it really has nothing to do with getting us back on track, nothing to do with COVID, but they're just pushing it all together to fit their own narrative. And it's extremely unfortunate. And when you talk about political theater, all you have to do is look at the pictures from that speech when you had President Biden and then you had Speaker Pelosi and Vice President Kamala Harris behind him, several feet apart, wearing masks. They're all vaccinated. But yet you can see a picture of the Bidens with the Carters essentially hugging without masks on. It's political theater. If they wanted to give a strong message supporting vaccination efforts, that auditorium should have been full of vaccinated congressional members, not distancing without masks on. And that is how you would show the American people, this is what it can look like if we get enough people vaccinated, but they didn't do that. They completely missed the mark and they failed to show Americans the reason we need to be vaccinated. Exit question for me. Tell us about your book, Panic Attack. Tell us why you came up with that title and when it comes out and where we can get it. Well, you know, Panic Attack, that was an interesting title choice, but it, it really is all encompassing because what has happened throughout the course of this pandemic, you see headlines every single day that is invoking um, anxiety and panic and the mental health detriment that has come out of this from our adults to our children is just completely rampant. And the one thing I wanted to do with this book, what people are gonna write about this pandemic for years to come, but my message in this book was there were so many things that the media and certain policymakers just twisted. They turned into conspiracies that aren't really conspiracies. And what I decided to do was I was going to put forth the facts and I was going to say, and this is how the facts was distorted. You can make your own judgment at this point. And I really go from the origin. I talk about the origin theories you know, from it being you know, developed as a bioweapon to it just occurring naturally in the caves of China and through intermediate species. I talk about, I actually talk about the genetic sequencing of the virus and the insertions and deletions. And maybe I get a little too scientific, but I want people to understand. And then I go into the World Health Organization, how they missed the boat on a few things. And I talk about the history of the World Health Organization, how this isn't the first time that they've come under fire for supporting the Chinese Communist Party. I go into when the virus came to our shores, what happened? You know, why did it turn into such a pandemic? And then I talk about hydroxychloroquine, which was so disgustingly talked about in the media. This is a decades old medication with known antiviral effects that had been being studied all across the globe, but yet it turned into political warfare in the United States because President Trump touted it. Um, and so I talk about that. I talk about that, remdesivir, vitamin D, face masks, uh, school closures, how the teachers unions had more influence on whether schools were open or closed than science itself. And again, I just wanted to put forth facts because I want people to understand if you have the education, if you have the knowledge, then you are in a much better place than the majority of people. And you won't be swayed by either the far left or the far right, because the best thing you can do is educate yourself. If you want to get educated, if you want to get facts, listen to Dr. Nicole Sapphire and buy her book because uh, she's a great commentator on Fox News and uh, a voice of, of sanity in, a, uh, in an insane period of time in our history. So thank you for joining us. It is available for pre-order now um, anywhere you can buy books, but it officially releases May 25th. Excellent. Terrific. I'm going to order mine right now. 
So one topic we didn't get into with Nicole is this issue of vaccine passports. And I think at some point we should do a whole episode on this and bring somebody on who, who really understands this issue. This, there's this whole divide, just like the mask divide was, uh, you know, the big political fight of 2020 when it comes to COVID. Now it looks like vaccine passports are becoming this big fight. Governor DeSantis in Florida who has been one of the, in my view, one of the best leaders in the country on COVID. He's done a great job bringing his state out of the pandemic without ruining the economy and letting people have their freedom and live their lives without worse outcomes. Great in terms of delivering the vaccine. He's signed a law banning vaccine passports. I don't know. I want a vaccine passport, Danny. (laughs) I want to be able to just flash a badge and say, I'm vaccinated, let me through, and I don't have to follow all these stupid rules. It sounds like it's an opportunity for liberation, not the opposite. It's funny you say this. So, you know, you're pretty conservative, but you're for a vaccine passport. I mean, I don't know what the center of gravity of opposition to this is, but I mean, remember, we already do have vaccine passports in a way. If you're traveling abroad, there's a yellow document that I think the World Health Organization gives you in which you list some of the sort of weird vaccines you've gotten, you know, yellow fever, cholera, when that still existed, and a whole bunch of others. And you need that to go into countries where they have disease outbreaks when you send your kids to school, right? They ask you, what vaccines have they had? And they're not just asking you. Your doctor has to sign it and stamp their office number on it so that it's actually got some veneer of officialdom. You know, I am a little bit at a loss to understand the really strong, rabid objection to vaccine passports. I will only say as a PS to that, that I heard that Governor Cuomo has developed one in New York, and that makes me not want one. There you go. A, a complete uh, digression. But, you know, you mentioned that little yellow card you get when you travel uh, to countries. When we worked in the Senate, I went uh, to Angola to visit the Re- Angolan rebels and I had to travel through several African capitals. And the Senate physician actually wrote into my passport, in my vaccine passport, that I had received the AIDS vaccine. There is no AIDS vaccine. But the reason was because there was a scam in a lot of these in a lot of these airports where they would say, well, you need the AIDS vaccine to get in the country. So and they bring out this big needle and say, if you didn't pay a bribe, then you were going to have to uh, you, you'd either pay a bribe or get jabbed by the needle and get the AIDS vaccine. And, you know, in uh, in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Well, listen, you're a leader. You're a leader in the medical field. You haven't got AIDS, have you? But, you know, here's the thing. I get why people are worried about it, because. If there's a vaccine passport and you choose not to get the vaccine, then does that mean without the passport, you can't get in? And, you know, in a lot of events right now, you have I've been going to a spate of National Hockey League games lately because they open they've opened up the stadiums to like 20, 15, 20 percent capacity in some of these places. I've gone in Philadelphia, I've gone in Pittsburgh, I've gone in New York, uh, a few other places. And basically, you have to either show that you've got your vaccine card, that you've been vaccinated, or show proof of a negative COVID test, right? And so if you're vaccinated, you don't want to keep having to go get COVID tests. So you show your vaccine. And so I show my vaccine card, I get into the game. It would be much easier to just have a little QR code on my phone that prove a proof of vaccination. That's how I see a vaccine passport is just a health document showing that it's just an electronic version of my CDC card with my vaccination on it. I think a lot of people are worried that we're going to be split into a country of the vaccinated and unvaccinated and have two classes of citizens, and that people will not be allowed to participate in certain events if they don't have 
the COVID vaccine. And I get that hesitation to some extent. I, I, don't, I don't, I don't, let me tell you, you know, there's, there is a chickenpox vaccine. It's not 100% effective. It's certainly by no means as effective as the various COVID vaccines. But I got chickenpox when I was 24 because the vaccine didn't exist when I was a kid back in the 17th century. And I got chickenpox when I was an adult. Let me tell you something. I am perfectly happy to be in a two-class society in which people who don't have the vaccine stay away from me. Getting chickenpox when you're an adult is extraordinarily dangerous. It was very, very unpleasant. I don't want to get chickenpox from somebody who couldn't bother to be vaccinated. And I don't understand why people who are willing to put themselves at risk or put their family members who are also not vaccinated at risk is meant to be an okay thing. Because there's a lot of people who don't need the vaccine, for example, because they had COVID. And so they have immunity. In fact, I think there's, uh, in some cases, they recommend waiting for a while if you've had COVID and you have that immunity to get the vaccine. So I, I think as long as there's an option for people who are unvaccinated but can prove that they don't have COVID to participate in the life of our country, then this should be an uncontroversial thing. But I think the part of the problem is the word passport. It sounds like, you know, if you have one, you get in. If you don't have one, you don't get in. And also the other thing is, you know, I think people may need to realize that I don't th- I don't necessarily want the government telling me what I can and cannot do with or without a vaccine. But private businesses, you know, if, for example, you know, you and I go to a lot of concerts, right? It may be the key to reopening the concert industry and the stadiums to have be able to say that, that you know, everybody here is vaccinated. We can all gather. And so business, there might be businesses who might decide I, in order to participate in our business, you need a vaccine. As a free person, you can choose to partake of businesses that do that or not partake of businesses that do that, depending on your point of view. But people should have the right to restart their businesses with the safety of knowing that everybody who's participating is vaccinated. Well, you know, it's funny. I, uh, I went to get my hair cut and my hairdresser has his own salon. It's allowed to be open at 25% capacity in the District of Columbia. You know, financially, it's killing him. And he said, all my customers are vaccinated. I want to be able to go to 100% capacity, but I'm going to require that everybody be vaccinated inside. I don't understand why that's not an option. In states where masking is not required, individual businesses like in Florida, like in Texas, are allowed to require that people wear masks inside. I respect that. I respect that businesses have choices. I believe the Supreme Court has ruled on this question on other matters. And I don't understand why that shouldn't hasten our reopening to 100%. But part of it is a willingness to show a vaccination. You're right. It's worth a podcast. We should definitely do it. I think you're right. It's worth a whole podcast. Let's find somebody who uh, who's thought deeply about this. And listeners, if you have any good ideas and who'd be a good guest on this, send them our way. And uh, thank you for listening. Don't forget, subscribe, send it to your friends, send it to your enemies, send it to your mom. It's Mother's Day coming up. Don't forget, everybody. Send it to your dad as well. And don't forget to review us. Thanks for joining. Thanks. Take care. Our producer is Alexa Santry, and a special thanks as well to Olivia Leslie and AEI's digital strategy and video teams. Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing us at whatthehellatai.org. Or you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at D Pletka. And I'm at Mark Thiessen. That's Mark with a C. Please rate and review the podcast. If you like the show, subscribe, share it, comment on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this. Thanks for listening. Um.